0: Hello, uh, this is Brian Standy, and this is Politics, Culture, and Conversation. Thank you for listening in. And today I'm going to do a book review. By the book is free to learn. And the author is Peter Gray, and it um, it's about the way children should learn in school, as opposed to how they are trained in school at this point. Um, Peter believes um, in a method of basically using play a lot more than simple instruction in the classroom. And it's just an excellent book, a book that had a profound impact on me as far as thinking about how education um, is delivered. Uh, When I was in the state assembly, I was vice chair of the education committee and uh, education is obviously vitally important. And I've taken an interest to learn more about the methods of teaching and instruction and, and so forth. And um, and also the drive to put everybody into college, which I think has been a mistake um, specifically because only about 25% of people uh, get college degrees. So 75% of the kids in high school are going to be more or less deemed failures because they're not going to college. And I say that because everybody's Pressuring this a to g curriculum we have in california is everybody has to be college prepared so that means you assume they're going to college so that means when they don't go to college they have somehow failed and what we i think fail to recognize is that mostly kids most of the kids will not go to college so therefore how are we preparing them for a future without a college education and there should be a, a bright future ahead but instead we we have um I don't want to say close the door on them, but but we have put a marker over their heads. And, um, you know, Europe has done a, a better job over, oh, since, you know, last few hundred years whenever education started, and and tracking, um, this word tracking is kind of controversial, but recognizing the fact that most kids aren't going to college, so how do we get them into a trade that can pay a, a wage that um, they can live in a middle-class life with their family? And that's something we just have not done a good job in the United States of doing. But going back to Peter Gray and uh, Free to Learn, it's and before I get, I'm gonna read an essay I wrote. After I read the book a couple years ago, I wrote an essay on that, on the book, and I'm gonna read from that. But before I do so, I just wanna give a little bit more background. First of all, why this came up in my thought process now, and that is because of these COVID shutdowns that we are having, in particular, why we are, for the shutdowns, we're saying we're closing playground, playgrounds, children's playgrounds. And I just think that's a catastrophic mistake. Um, you're already limiting these kids and you're drilling this fear into kids at a very early age. And on top of that, then not allowing them to play, I think is just an unbelievably bad policy to have. And that got me thinking more about Peter Gray and how playing is um, linked, I want to say 100% linked linked to education in a sense of how a child learns. But once again, before I get into that, um, I, I was thinking, going back again, to a book um came out I think uh, a year or two ago by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukanoff uh, called the Coddling of... The American Mind, and the premise of their book is, I didn't read it to be honest, I just saw him interviewed a few times, so I may be a little bit off and not the perfect person to describe it, but more or less they said social media came about you know, roughly 2010, and so when that started popping up, you know, kids that were in their young teens were then hooked on it going forward into college. And that's when they first started uh, realizing in, in their called they're both professors, in 2014-15, they started noticing this, this phenomenon of children demanding safe spaces. And children, or children, young adults, I should say, demanding to not hear controversial views or views other than what they are accustomed to. And literally started this, what they call this panic uh, on college campuses around speech, and that has only only been more animated in the recent years. But so as they link that back to the rise of social media, which which I think makes sense because they're more or less saying you have a um, insecurity issue. First of all, every teenager is insecure, but then you put in the social feedback element to it, where okay, I put something on you know, back then Facebook or whatever it might be it's Instagram and all these things, but you're looking for likes and you're looking for affirmation. And we, when you don't get it, that can be devastating and even more devastating when you have a, um, a kind of cyber bullying that takes place over, Oh, what a stupid comment or what a idiot that person is and so forth. And it's really just, uh, been detrimental to the minds of these kids. And that, and, and once again, their argument is that uh, presents itself in this uh, in this way that they're so fragile; they cannot accept any type of criticism or hearing other points of view. Once again, but I want to take this back even further to um, to the nineteen nineties because I thought about when I was growing up, play was just that's all you could do. I grew up in the seventies and. Or sixty late sixties, seventies when, you know, kids just rolled around outside and played hide and go seek and wrestled and uh, pick up baseball games and basketball, whatever you could do, but your your parents were basically doing whatever working and not hanging out with kids. That was the kids' jobs to hang out with each other and you go out and find your own fun. So that has definitely changed. And what I'm connecting to is is reading in New York New York has and I'm going to connect this to the colleges, actually. New York has these preschools that are astronomical in cost. For instance, the Horace Mann Preschool in New York City has a tuition of $48,000 a year for a three-year-old. $48,000 a year. That's insane. And furthermore, you have to uh, provide, you have to fill an application, and you have to describe the interests of the child of a three-year-old. that That's that's nuts. And then, furthermore, these people actually even hire counselors or consultants to help them fill out these applications. That are, these consultants are paid $250, $250 an hour to fill these out and guide them. This is for a three-year-old. So in, in the 1970s, um, in New York City, they had about 150 applicants for these uh, prestigious um, preschools. In the 1990s, that went to 3,000, so 150 to 3,000. Now I'm connecting that growth into the 1990s when a kid goes into preschool, going up to what Jonathan Haidt says in the social media and then getting to college in 2014, 15. They grew up in this highly protected world of everything's focused on them and achieving well in the classroom and just a high, you know the helicopter parent thing where it's just hyper focus on them and achievement in school, and I think that has just left a lot of them devastated. And um, anyways, that that sets me up for getting into Peter Gray's book about learn or playing and the connection to learning, as opposed to a three year old sitting in their preschool and learning three languages or whatever the hell they, they do. So I'm now going to uh, read from the essay I wrote called "Rethinking Education. And I might stop and interject a little bit, but I'll hopefully break it up well. All right, here we go. The first public schoolhouses opened in the American colonies in the, midnight, in the mid 1600s, and schools today look remarkably similar to those seen on the Little House on the Prairie. School commences in the morning, and students attend exactly time periods of various instruction courses, and the subjects and teaching methods, along with rote memorization, have varied little from the original schoolhouse. Why has there not been more change? Peter Gray, in his book Free, Free to Learn, states, The schools that we have seen around us are not products of science and logic. They are products of history. Gray sets forth a compelling transformation of learning by going back in time. He documents learning, the learning methods of the hunter-gatherer period, when children learn through playing. He then describes the evolution towards the strict instructional method to fit in the industrial era's needs for conformity, where, where education became synonymous with work, thereby completely stifling young minds. Gray pulls a quote from Albert Einstein's autobiography describing Einstein's thoughts on forced education. It is nothing short of a miracle that modern learning methods have not completely strangled the curiosity of children. It is a grave mistake to think that the enjoyment of seeing and searching can be promoted by the means of coercion and duty. Gray also references primate learning patterns found in nature. The higher up the evolutionary primate chain, the more learning is achieved by playing and for longer periods of time. Our closest cousin, the chimpanzee, spends many years playing with siblings and learning before the parents turn them loose into the wild. Play also prepares children to deal with the worst. In his book, Children and Play in the Holocaust, George Eisen describes children playing in the Nazi ghettos and concentration camps. As Gray points out, if it were a luxury, it would not have happened in the camps. With games such as tickling a corpse and gas chamber, something more than play is occurring. Plane is not just passing idle time, but also bringing the deadliest realities into a fictional play, into a fictional space, where they're more easily comprehended and dealt with. Now I'm stopping here for a second to go back to the issue of the calling of the mind by Jonathan Haidt and uh, Mr. Look, uh, what's the name? Greg, talking about how the um, sensitivity of kids and and I'm going to read some stats that were compiled from the Minnesota personal multi I'm sorry, the Minnesota Multifacet Personality Inventory Survey given to college students since nineteen thirty eight and high school students since nineteen fifty one. And these are a little dated, so they're even uh, worse today. But anyways, so in nineteen forty eight, nine percent of kids responded yes to the statement, Life is a strain for me much of the time. In 1989, the yes response was 35%. For the statement, I'm afraid of losing my mind, 4% said yes. In 1948, 23% said yes. According to the American College for Health Associations, suicide rates for children and young adults ages 15 to 24 have tripled in the last 50 years. In the last 15 years, suicide rates for teenage boys have increased 25%, while rates for teenage girls have Risen an astonishing 70%. That, I I think there's a connection there. Um, It's just sad to see, obviously. But all right, let me, I'll keep reading again. A low sense of control over one's life is strongly correlated with anxiety and depression. Drilling a sense of needed adult protection into children at a young age and continued into adulthood has produced an anxious feeling when left alone to make choices. Psychologist Jordan Peterson states that when children play loosely structured games where the rules might be changed during the game, children learn the intricacies of negotiation and compromise. When some kids leave, the remaining players are forced to adapt to the new conditions and amend the game by rearranging teams or creating new rules in order to continue playing. Peterson goes on to talk about playing the long game of life. We tell kids it's not important if you win or lose by how you play the game because you want them to be invited back to play again. Nobody wants to play with a ball hog or a sore loser. You want good competition so everyone has a chance to excel. Peterson says life is a set of games and you want your child to participate in as many as possible. We certainly know this, the necessity of learning the basics of math, science, and history, but we also know the future will, will require lifelong learning and that is best accomplished when the children develop a desire to learn. Probably the most watched YouTube video about education features, Ken Robinson, talking about creativity and education. In the video and in many of his books, Robinson gives examples of schools suppressing a child's creativity. Furthermore, he lays out the case that most jobs today will not exist in 20 years. And in his extensive research and conversations with businesses, creativity is cited as the number one desired competency business businesses look for in employees Albert Einstein and Ken Robinson agree schools systematically stomp out the natural creativity impulses in a child actually I want to give an example here I didn't write down but in his uh, video Ken Robinson's video he talks about I think it's a kindergarten class where the teacher saying okay it's time to draw now draw a picture of Whatever you'd like. So then she's walking up and down the aisles, and she comes upon um, Susie, and she looks over Susie's desk and says, "Susie, what are you drawing?" And she says, "I'm drawing a picture of God." And the teacher says, "Well, nobody knows what God looks like looks like." And she says, "They will in a minute." That just highlights the open-mindedness of children. The the unlimited potential for creativity that we then systematically, as I talk about, cut out as they have to start their rote memorization of whatever subjects. All right, back to reading. Peter Gray advocates for the unstructured learning to allow kids to discover their own desire to learn with minimal interference from adults. He makes a compelling case with his son who was doing very poor, poorly academically at age 13. Peter tried everything to help and eventually enrolled his son at Sudbury Valley, where kids are not directed to learn specific subjects, but rather are allowed to play and explore topics and activities that interest them. Older students are encouraged to teach the younger ones, which as Gray witnesses, is a natural desire by both groups. There are no set time or classes, and children learn according to their own interest and schedule. Peter's son ended, ex- ended up excelling at Sudbury Valley. Gray and Dr. David Chanoff, who also is taught at Tufts and Harvard, performed a longitudinal study that followed students at Sudbury for 15 years. They know the subject's success of college graduation at over 50%, which is obviously much higher than most most high schools. This is accomplished without any high school transcripts or ratings, Sudbury kids graduate by presenting a thesis on why they are prepared to graduate. The oral part of the exam may take two hours. The elected student body and elected parent representatives comprise a panel of judges. Just as important, the students who do not continue on to college had successful lives and various trades in many owned businesses. And just to put a finer point on that, when these kids are graduating, they literally don't have grades, they stand before this group of parents and students and explain to them why they should graduate in high school. And there may be back and forth with questions about different subjects, but they have to stand there and present themselves as worthy of graduation. That, that is just fascinating. And so the funny part is they go to college and there's no transcripts about what they did in high school, but somehow they, they've worked it out. Um, last paragraph, I just state the traditional... School model is no longer useful in the 21st century. Students would be better prepared for adulthood if schools explored using a hybrid model of classrooms, unstructured learning, and play, as long as there is freedom for children to experiment and discover their own intrinsic value of learning and creativity. So that's the review. And once again, the book is Free to Learn by Peter Gray. Um, Looking at the book here, Stephen Pinker is quoted in what a fine book it is, along with other folks. Um, it's just a, a fascinating read. And once again, it, to me, it just makes complete sense about the value of play and how really that's how children learn the skills that they need to be successful. And we have systematically cut that out of our um, of our children's lives. I think it's a huge mistake. And going back to the COVID restrictions, it's insane not to have places for children to play every single day whenever they need it. Um, So I I hope that has changed. But anyways, thank you for listening. I will uh, be back soon. A couple more days I'm going to be doing book reviews, kind of subject book reviews, hopefully as often as I can. I like to read a lot, so um, I want to share interesting books that I find with you, and hopefully you enjoy them as well. Once again, thanks for tuning in. This is Brian the Standing. Hope to talk to you soon.